If you've got your Bible with you, and we're going to look at uh, verses 15 to 18. Um, just for those that are visiting, uh, just so you can get a context of what we're doing. At the beginning of the year, I, stu- I started a study on Galatians, which really is um, about Christian freedom. It's about the fact that we don't live by rules as Christians, that rules can't save us. Even if you try to obey the rules perfectly, it can't save you. What saves you, what makes you right with God, is a righteousness that is given to you by faith. And we get saved by believing the promises of God. That's how we get saved. We don't get saved by living by rules. Okay? And uh, this portion we're going to read this morning is appropriate because um, it really is the heart of the, the, of the gospel in Galatians. This little, these little verses that we're going to study today are really the nub. It's the real key thing that Paul is trying to say. And so I really hope I'm going to take my time today and help you to understand this hopefully so that you can root it into your own life. And it is appropriate that we do it on Father's Day. I didn't plan that. But we know that the Bible says the father of our faith is Abraham. Abraham is our spiritual father. And really the story of the gospel is the story of our heavenly father, his goodness to us, his kindness to us, that he sent Jesus so that we can experience forgiveness and fullness of life. So it really is appropriate that on Father's Day, we look at the story of Abraham again, and I have preached a little on Abraham. And so this morning I've called this message, The Gospel According to Abraham. And I put it to you this morning that if you understand the story of Abraham, you will fully understand the Gospel. The story of Abraham is the Gospel in a little easily understandable story, all right? And so, I just want to remind you of what I spoke of last time, just just briefly. Remember last time we spoke about uh, the first half of the chapter, where it says that we are redeemed from the curse of the law. Okay, this is a a while back, because we did a whole lot of stuff in between. We are redeemed by the curse of, from the curse of the law. And remember what Paul says? He says that living by rules, if you try and live by rules, any system of morality or rules, if you do that, you bring yourself under a curse because you can't keep them. Not only me and you, but everybody can't keep the rules, all right? That's basically what Paul says. It brings us under a curse. And then he pointed us to Habakkuk, remember the Old Testament prophet, that said righteousness comes by faith, and that even Habakkuk prophesied and said that the righteous will live by faith. And Paul quotes that. The third thing he said uh, from the, the last message I preached is that it really doesn't require any faith. to, to, to um, the, the law doesn't d- demand any faith from you. All it demands is that you obey it. It doesn't require any faith. Fourthly, uh, Paul then promises to us and shows us that because Christ became this curse, the curse for us, we now live free in terms of him taking the curse upon himself. And lastly, I said to you, that the, f- the free gift that seals all of that was the gift of the Holy Spirit to you and I. And that's what Paul says. He says that's the evidence of what he was saying is true, is that God poured out His Holy Spirit upon Jew and Gentile alike, and we can enjoy the freedom of the Holy Spirit. So that's what we looked at last time. So I want to, with that as a background, let's read then Galatians 3, verse 15. And here Paul says this. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant... No one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, plural, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. 
This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterwards, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. This is the heart of the gospel. So, Father, I pray that you'd help us to understand what you're saying to us through your word this morning. I pray that you give me grace to communicate well and that you would set us free, that we might know the truth that sets free. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Remember in uh, chapter 2, Paul reminded Peter, one of the other apostles, that we are justified, that we are made acceptable to God purely through faith in the faithfulness of Jesus. That's what pleases God. And um, now Paul takes us a step further in this portion that we're reading this morning, and he says that he can prove that by the story of Abraham, who is the model believer. Abraham was a Christian before Jesus came. He's the prototype Christian. I've said this before. He's the model. He's the example of how we become righteous by faith, by believing in the promises that point to Jesus. And Paul says that it's purely and exclusively as we put our trust in the promises of Jesus, that is what pleases God and nothing else. And he says now, he says, even that was stated to Abraham 430 years before Moses even was around, God made this promise to Abraham, which is the promise of the gospel. And now what he does is he, he's adding a vital, vital point that we need to understand. He's saying this. He's saying that nothing that happens later after Abraham in the story of Israel, nothing that happens could cancel out what God did for Abraham. It's very important that we understand that. He's saying, whatever came after Abraham, what was promised to Abraham can never be changed. Can't be altered. It's the promise of God to us. And we believe in the same way as Abraham believed. Well, why is that? Simply because he shows in this portion that God's relationship with Abraham was a covenant. It was a covenant. And we looked in the, in the marriage seminar a couple of weeks ago about covenants and how they work. And this is the point of a covenant. Once it's been fixed, it can't be changed. And that's what he says in verse 15. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it, no one changes it or adds to it once it's been ratified. In other words, a covenant is a, is a legal contract. A covenant inver, involves terms, conditions, promises that are made, and what normally would happen is one of those parties, sometimes both of those parties, would swear an oath. They're not just promising now, they're swearing an oath, okay? In a modern sense, um, what they would be is like if, you, if you're signing a mortgage contract, you can make the promise to, 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 to pay the money. Once you sign the contract, the promise is ratified, it cannot be changed. You cannot go then back and change the terms and say, mm, uh, uh, it's a little bit too much money. I didn't think about it enough. Once you sign the contract, that it's a done deal. It is done. It can't be changed. That's what Paul is saying here. God made promises to Abraham of how he wanted to bless him. And once he swore an oath, that was irrevocably put in place and could never be changed. Man, that's good news for you and good news for me. And so... As I begin, let me just reflect a little bit on the story of Abraham. Let's think about the story of God 
and reflect on it a little bit in how he interacted with Abraham. Can I remind you that Abraham's story is a story rooted in grace? It's the grace and kindness of God to Abraham. So just let's reflect a little bit on uh, Abraham's story. Remember, he wasn't a Jew. He wasn't looking for God. He was a pagan. He was a moon worshiper. And God intervened in his life, found him, saved him, and made some promises to him. So it began in grace. Second, when God spoke to Abraham, he made a promise about a seed. And he said, through your seed, every nation will be blessed. And that seed refers to the Lord Jesus. Third, Abraham was made righteous, was made acceptable to God because of his faith in God's promises. And if you know the story of Abraham, he had many weaknesses. He was an imperfect man. He uh, began this journey in Genesis 15 and started walking with God. And he made many mistakes throughout his life, right? And it speaks to us of, we walk by faith. We, We don't have to be perfect. We make mistakes, but God loves us as we walk according to his, um, the leading of his Holy Spirit. And it says then that he was credited righteousness that was not his own. And because he believed the promise of God, God said, that righteousness I'm credit- crediting to you is my righteousness. It's your, not your own righteousness. And that is, c- came by faith as well. And God is so generous that even after he had saved Abraham... He makes amazing promises to Abraham and he says, I'm going to give you a future. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. I'm going to give you worldwide fame. He makes all these promises um, to Abraham and he says that's part of Abraham's inheritance. And those, those promises, that inheritance was part of the covenant that he made with Abraham. And so before God swears this oath, He's promised Abraham all these things. Before he swears the oath that ratifies everything, that puts it in writing, if you like, there's a journey that Abraham has to go on in his own life to learn obedience. And so it's the same for you and I. We are not saved by works. We are saved by faith. There's a difference between salvation and the inheritance that God has for us. As we walk with faith and obedience and patience, we begin to enjoy the inheritance that God has for us. All right? And so can I use a very practical example? We just did a marriage seminar to try and encourage guys in terms of their marriages. Here's a truth that is not about salvation, it's about inheritance. If you sow to the flesh in your marriage, you will reap from the flesh. If you sow to the Spirit in your marriage, you will reap from the Spirit. That's got nothing to do with salvation. You are saved if you believe by faith in Jesus. But if you consistently sow into your marriage, bad-temperedness, unforgiveness, resentment, always complaining. If you sow those things into your marriage, you as a Christian will still reap those things. God is not mocked. What's Galatians said? That's why he's saying, we, we sow to the Spirit. Don't sow to the flesh. Why? Because your inheritance is at stake. God has got an inheritance for you. He's got promises for you. He wants to, you to enjoy the fullness of your promise. But to do that, you have to walk with faith, and patience to reap the full reward of the inheritance that God has for you. Remember when Andrew Ollerton came and he had that prophetic picture for us as a church? What did he say? It's conditional on, in terms of two things. One, do not throw away your confidence. And two, you are going to need to persevere. There's a promise for God, from God for all of us, but the conditions of the promise are don't throw away your confidence and persevere. And through faith and patience, you will inherit the fullness of 
the promise that God has for you. And so, if you know the story of Abraham, the big test for Abraham is Genesis 22, where he is asked by God, well, he takes his son up the mountain and he's about to offer his son as a sacrifice. And he, God provides the sacrifice for um, Abraham. And then God says this to him in verse um, 16 of chapter 22. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself, God has no one greater to swear by, to make an oath by, except by himself. So he says, By myself I swear, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, because you were prepared to offer up your son as a, 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 a sacrifice to me, I will surely bless you. Now, he's not just making the promise anymore. Now, God is swearing. God is making the oath. God is ratifying all the promises that he's made before. And now he's saying, from this point on, it cannot be changed. This is what it's going to be for you, Abraham. I am now swearing by myself that I will bless you. I will multiply your offspring as much as the stars of heaven and the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring will possess the gates of his enemies, and your offspring shall be all the nations of the earth, and they shall all be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. All right? So now, all the promises that God has made Abraham, now they are ratified. Now God has sworn an oath. Now they cannot be changed. What does that mean for you and I? It means from that point on, irrevocably, unchangeably, God was saying, the seed of salvation for all of the nations of the world, Jesus is going to come through the seed of Abraham. That's what he's promising. And it's fixed. could never be changed. So Paul is quite brilliantly making the argument and, and saying that Abraham, the story of Abraham, is in fact an early picture, a form of, if you like, the gospel of the Lord Jesus. It's a picture for us of what Christ came to do for us. First, we are saved by sheer grace. You know, none of us really was looking for God. God chose, to, he found us. <laughs> he found us and his grace burst into our lives. Second, he gave us a promise of salvation that all rev revolved around Jesus. If we were to believe on his son, we would be saved. Third, we become righteous because of that uh, faith in God. And this justification by faith in Jesus is by nothing but faith. That's what saves us, the faith that we put in Jesus. And also, we have this inheritance that God has for us. He wants to give us particular things. He wants to bless us. He wants us to live in particular ways that honor him. And that's part of his covenant promise to us. The deal is for you and I, and that's why I'm trying to make the distinction before, I, as I started this message, it's not about salvation. Obedience is not about salvation, to earn salvation. Obedience is about the fullness of your inheritance. And so just like Abraham went through a whole lot of tests in his life, he was imperfect, he learned to hear the voice of the Spirit, he walked with the Spirit of God. For you and I, that's how it's going to be. <laughs> We're going to have to walk by the Spirit. We're going to have to learn to hear God's voice. He's going to test our obedience. Will we trust Him? Ah, it's an amazing thing to me. We all have struggles, don't we? Some of you might be struggling to have children. You've trusted God for years and years and years and years. And you've still got to trust Him. And you still haven't seen the breakthrough. We all get to walk by faith. Your test is different to my test. My test is different to you. But all of us have challenges that are faith challenges. In this moment of crisis, 
Will we choose to, to believe God and His goodness towards us, or will we give in to negative things in our lives and say, oh God, it's for everybody else, not for me? Yeah? These are all the faith tests that we have. And for Abraham, he had a particular test that he had to pass for himself. And when he passed that test for himself, God said, Now I see that you love me. I call you my friend. And because of that, I swear by myself, I, everything I've promised you now is ratified. And it will be so from now on. And I believe that's the same thing that God wants to do for you and I. Yes? That's what he has for us. He has good for us. And this is the story of the gospel. And... Uh, here, Abraham is, uh, Jesus is described as the seed that comes through Abraham. Verse 16, the promise was made to Abraham and his offspring. It does not say to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, your offspring, who is Jesus. And so what Abraham believed was that he believed the promise of Jesus. That was, that's what he was uh, waiting for. And now really is the crucial part that I want to come to. This is what Paul is saying. And please hear what I'm saying now. <laughs> this is what Paul is saying. The way of salvation was fixed for us, and it was settled when God swore that oath to Abraham. In other words, nothing can change that covenant of how we are saved, because God ratified it with his promise, with his oath. So then, everything else that happens after the life of Abraham cannot possibly change anything about the gospel. Now, what do you think Paul is thinking of when he says that? As a Jew, what is he thinking about? He's thinking about the law. He's thinking about the law of Moses. Because the Jews had been living according to the law of Moses. Abraham came 430 years later. Moses receives the law. It said, the scripture says, God speaks to the angels. The angels then take the same message and they give it to Moses and Moses writes it down on tablets. You know the story. What he is saying, what Paul is really saying here is whatever the Mosaic law might be, and we're going to look at it now, whatever it might be, it cannot change the gospel. The gospel was given to Abraham 430 years before the law was given to Moses. And so... This is what cannot be changed. And so Paul is saying, whatever the, the law is, when, when the law was given, it didn't change the gospel. It didn't take away a salvation by faith and replace it by salvation by rules. We look at that in verse 18. It says, for the inheritance comes, if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. And so I put it to you that Abraham did not get to that glorious day when he received the promises of God by obeying rules and regulations as laid down by the Mosaic law because they were not even in existence. How did he get to that beautiful day? He got to that day by believing the promise of God that God spoke to him. And that's how you and I live. We do not live under rules. We do not live under any kind of moral code. We live simply under the, the rule of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We hear the voice of Jesus, and he tells us where to walk and what to do. And so, through faith and patience, Paul says we inherit the kingdom. And so his point, quite simply, is that keeping rules, law-keeping, can never be allowed to distract us from the gospel. Sorry. 
Artie Kendall said to me one day, he said, Ant, it's one thing to realize that you're saved by faith, and to live free is a completely different story. <laughs> Isn't it? You can understand that your salvation is by faith, but sometimes in our lives, everything tries to push us to obey the rules. And I'm not, here, I'm not arguing for, for breaking rules. I'm not arguing for that. What I'm saying is that if you put your, your trust in obeying the rules to save you, if you put your trust in good behavior to please God, you are missing what it means to be saved by faith. We live by faith. We live by believing the promises of God. And certainly, we do try and do some stuff over the course of our lives. I'm not encouraging anyone to break the law. I'm just saying, the law doesn't save you. It can never save you. All the law does, you know yourself. If you, if you do something, you feel what you feel automatically. You break the law. I had a speeding fine the other day. Immediately, it's like, oh God, I've broken the law. I feel guilty. Why did I do that? Points on my license, the fine, all that stuff, you know. That's what the law does. That's all the law can do for you. Now, we don't live by trying to obey the rules. We live by the Spirit. And then out of the overflow of our hearts, and we, do, we do obey the rules. But it doesn't save us. Yes? Okay, so this leads us then to the vital question, why on earth did God mess it up? Or did God mess it up by giving the rules to, to Moses? Why did he do that? Confuses everything. If we are supposed to just live by the Spirit, live by believing the promises of God as Abraham did, why did God give the law to Moses? Very good question. I'm glad you asked that question. Right? Here we go. Well, as introduction, Paul says the law was something altogether different. It was temporary. It wasn't ever meant to be permanent, and we were never ever expected to relate to God through the law. Uh, we were supposed to relate to God directly as Abraham uh, related directly to God. So, verse 19 says, Why then the law? And Paul answers his own question. He says this, The law was added because of sin, because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. In other words, until Jesus came. The law was added because of the people's sin, only in a temporary way until Jesus came, and it was put in, in place by an intermediary and by angels. In other words, through Moses getting the uh, angels telling him what to do, and then he wrote it down. So the first point that Paul makes here is that the law was added. It was never really the original plan of God, but he added it for his own purpose. And secondly, it was added because of Israel's sin. Remember, up until this point, Abraham had been having a good time with his family. They were living by the promises of God. Remember, Israel was not yet a nation. Yeah? So 400 years, Abraham and his descendants were living by the promise of God. Israel was growing, and now it was about to become a nation. So what God is doing, when the thing gets bigger and bigger and bigger, you have, he, he, God saw fit to, to bring some gardens to help the nation of Israel. Why? Because they were in a place where they were surrounded by idolatry, surrounded by the Canaanites in the promised land who lived in a vile way, and God was saying through the law, I don't want you to be like that. I want to help you 
to learn not to live like that. So, he put, he put the law in place. And the law was severe. Why was the law so severe? Because God was trying to keep the nation of Israel in a kind of morality. So, the, the, it was severe penalties. That's what the law does. It has severe penalties. So, for example, if you break, broke the Sabbath... If you had adultery and broke someone else's marriage up? Why was it so severe? Because the, all of the nations that surrounded Israel, that's how they lived. They lived in this completely immoral way. And so God was just saying to his people, I'm trying to help you through the law not to be like that. And so the penalty was severe. This is the problem, though, is that all that the, the, the law could do was restrain sin. It never took away sin. Okay? So it restrained sin. And the only way that it restrained sin, really, was through fear. And that's not a good motivation, is it? If you do this, you're going to be severely punished. So don't do that. No. And so there was this, the sense that the law only restrained sin. It never took away sin. And Paul's point in all of what he's saying is that that's all that the law could do. It could only restrain sin, it could only curb sin, but it, can't, it could never help you to be born again. And so when I say the law doesn't save us, I'm not against uh, morality. I'm not against living a righteous life. I'm saying this, that the law, that doesn't save us. It doesn't, it doesn't, you're not born again by following rules. What you are, you are born again by the Spirit of God. You're born again as you believe the promise of God, and then your heart is open. And then suddenly you start to be alive on the inside, and things that you didn't even know were wrong in the, before you were born again, suddenly the Holy Spirit is pointing those out to you and saying, my son, I want you to change that thing. It's not helpful for you or for your wife. Will you change that? Yes? That's what it means to live by the Spirit. And so this is what Paul is saying. The law was given. It was temporary. It was added because, because of sin. It kept the nation at a certain level of morality, but it never helped them to be born again. It never gave them um, new birth. And we know from 1 Timothy also, it says, 1 Timothy 1, if you read the first chapter, it says, the law is not for the righteous. The law is for the wicked. So if you believe in Jesus, if you're saved by faith, the law is not for you. <laughs> You're saved already. You don't have to live by the rules in that sense. And so it was temporary. It was added until Jesus came as the seed of Abraham. The fourth thing that Paul says is that it was inferior. It was inferior in this sense that it came from God to the angels and then the angels gave it to Moses and Moses, Moses uh, wrote it down. When Jesus came as the God's Son, He came directly to us. There's no mediator anymore. That's why the Scripture says there's no mediator between us and God anymore because of God has sent His Son. We don't have to have anything mediated between us and God. We have direct access to God now through the power of the Holy Spirit and through Jesus the Son. This is beautiful. And so Paul's point is um, that the law is quite useless as a means of salvation for you and I. It can't give us life. It's temporary. God is not against His law. Uh, the law is not evil, because God gave it to us, but at best it's temporary. That's the point. And then lastly, what it does 
is that the law shuts every door other than the doorway of faith in Jesus for salvation. And that's what Paul says in verse 22. The scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus might be given to those who believe. That's the glorious gospel, isn't it? The Gentiles were sinners, but the law wasn't even given to the Gentiles. It was given to the Jews. The Jews were given the law, but they couldn't in any way find true spiritual help through the law, the system of the law. So where does help come from then? the law can't save you, where does it come from? What hope of salvation is there? Well, Paul has the answer. He says, every hope of salvation is shut off except for one. The only possibility is that Christ is the Savior and that we have to put our faith and our trust in His faithfulness. That is all that counts, according to what Paul says here. Christ alone is our Savior. He doesn't need any other help. He doesn't need the help of morality. He doesn't need the help of living by rules, any system. He doesn't need the help of that. He has the Holy Spirit. The only person who convicts us perfectly of sin is the Holy Spirit. Not the rules. Not being aware that you're breaking the rules. And living by rules, by morality, cannot help you with any of those things. Christ is enough. He is the one that has done all. He is the seed of the promise of Abraham. If you believe in, the, in, in, in Him, that is all that is sufficient to make you right with God. And as you are made right with God, you start to live on the inside. And as you start to live on the inside, you start to walk by the Spirit and you live free. And you journey through your life happy, free, forgiven. And God will tell you by the power of His Spirit what He wants you to change. People don't have to do that. Laws and rules and regulations don't have to do that. This is the truth of the gospel of Jesus. If you understand the story of Abraham, you understand the story of salvation. You can live your life as an imperfect father, like I am an imperfect father. But I have the perfect Holy Spirit on the inside of me who's showing me daily what I need to do to change and to become more and more like his son. This is the freedom that we have in Jesus. This is the freedom and the goodness of the gospel. I trust that you would live like this by the power of the Spirit in your life. It's a joyful way to live. It's a happy way to live. It's the only way to live. Christ is enough. He's more than enough. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for uh, what you've promised us in this amazing story. Thank you, Lord, that um, you made those promises to Abraham. Lord, your word says in Galatians that the gospel was proclaimed in advance to Abraham 430 years before the law was even given. And we rejoice, Lord, that our salvation comes by faith. We rejoice, Lord, that all that you expect one from us is to believe in the promise of your Son. And we thank you, Lord, that as we believe in the promise of your Son, we are made right with you and we are born again. And so, Lord, my prayers for every single person, every family in this church community, that we would know what it means to walk by your Spirit, that you would set us free from the inside progressively, that our lives would speak of freedom to all that um, we come into contact with, that there would not be one ounce of, of legalism on the inside of us. We pray that by your Spirit you would put it to death that we will be those that help others into freedom and liberty, that your, your church will be increasingly become a place of freedom and liberty for your people, 
and for many that would be saved into your kingdom. And so we simply trust you, Lord, on this day, which is Father's Day, where we celebrate earthly fathers. We thank you that you are our perfect Father in heaven. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for who you are and your kindness to us in the gospel and your kindness to Abraham that you intervened in his life when he wasn't even looking for you. Thank you, Lord. That's our story as well, that you intervened into our lives when we weren't even particularly looking for you and you saved us and you set us free. You are a good God and we thank you for every good thing that you've poured out in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen.